Hey, Faith Ridge. Do you remember when you were a kid and there was someone in your class that you just wanted them to see you? Every time they'd walk in, you, maybe you would just kind of prop up a little bit. Maybe you would just wave or smile, just kind of hoping that they would notice you. Uh, maybe it was uh, a certain girl in the class. Maybe it was a certain athlete in the class. And as we get older, we begin to recognize, well, that, that person is important. You get into junior high, those kids are important. And if they could just notice me. And so you find yourself, when they walk by, maybe doing something different, acting in a different way, talking in a different way, using different words, may, maybe even trying to look different than maybe you used to. And then you get into high school and it gets even a little bit more. You see, that's the starting quarterback or that's the cheerleader or that's, that's the kid who's so smart that you got to be nice to you because we're all going to work for him someday or her someday. Then you get into college and then you, you get married and you get into the, the workforce and you start to recognize that, that that person's close to the boss or that person seems to be moving um, higher and higher in the organization. And so I should probably get closer to that person. And little by little, we begin to act a certain way to certain people. But aren't you really glad that God didn't just act a certain way with just some people? Aren't you glad that like God actually gave his son for everyone? <laughs> Are you actually glad that like grace is the same for you as it is for me, as it is for Pastor Ken? as it is for all of Faithbridge and, and, and all of those who have not yet ever stepped foot into Faithbridge? Aren't you glad that God doesn't play the game of favoritism? And yet in our culture, this is what we're known for. We show favorites. And James is this amazing writer. And if anyone, I mean, James is the half-brother of Jesus, which has just got to be the most difficult thing in the world. I mean, Jesus is perfect. James, not so much. But what James writes, scholars often refer to it as like Proverbs remixed, because in many ways, it's, it's a conversation about wisdom. And, and really, when you open up and you begin to go through each chapter and each kind of section within James, you recognize that James is presenting two choices for you and for me. And here's how it breaks down. If this is you or this is me, every section in the book of James is going to take you to two places. One, the way of wisdom. And what wisdom, James says, is if you can lean into it, you can align your life with the way of Jesus, with God's heartbeat for humanity, you know what it's going to provide for you? It's going to give you a flourishing life. You're actually going to flourish. But not everyone chooses wisdom. Many people choose the way of culture. They, they choose the way of the world. And, and really, James goes, you know what that is? That's just the way of folly. And what's folly going to lead? Folly is going to lead to pain. Folly is going to lead to brokenness. Folly is going to lead to hurt and heartache. And really, in James's mind, he's going, I want you to have a flourishing life grounded in the way of Jesus and in the way of wisdom. And so today, we're going to look at a few verses from the book of James 
that really talks about and goes directly at something that has been a human struggle since really the very beginning. See, we've always wanted somebody to affirm us. Uh, the Hebrew people, they, they wanted a king. They wanted it to look like every other nation. I, 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 we all, we all want to like show favoritism to certain people because sometimes it's just going to help us believe that we're going to be okay. And every time we do that, it's like we're missing, missing something that's so much deeper. If you have a Bible, turn with me to James chapter 2. It begins like this. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. This is what he's saying. Hey, every believer, uh, this is how we are going to play. This is not how Rome plays. This is not how the Greeks play. This is not how other people play. But this is how we, as followers of the Lord Jesus, must orient our lives. It is the way of wisdom. It is the way to flourishing life. We must not show favoritism. So what's favoritism? It's when you show unmerited favor upon somebody else based on something that you think they can provide for you. So you, you show somebody uh, and act a certain way to somebody because they can actually benefit you somehow. And yet there's some other people that have nothing to offer you and so there's no need for them. Verse two, suppose a man comes into Faith Bridge next weekend wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old Oklahoma Sooners gear also comes in. Look what it says. Verse three, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man wearing Oklahoma Sooners gear, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So can you just imagine this? Next weekend, when we all gather at Faith Bridge, can you imagine it's like someone's walking in and they're dressed to the nines. They got a good ring. They got a watch on. They're dialed. They look fantastic. And they walk in and all of a sudden one of the ushers just kind of in their mind sizes them up, sees the labels of the watch, the shoes, the suit, and goes, come down front. And I'm going to give you a special seat. You're going to sit right next to Pastor Ken. I'm going to give you the best seat in the house. And, and, and can you imagine? And then if somebody else walks in and they're, they're just not wearing brand names, high fashion. They're wearing Boomer Sooner gear. And all of a sudden the usher sees that person and goes, I'm so sorry. Um, we're going to... They're not going to take you up to the balcony. We're, we're actually going to take you outside to the parking lot. We're, we've got a little, uh, it's an it's it's iPhone 1, so it's not really great with the, the reception, but you can watch the service out in the parking lot in the humidity because there's nothing like Houston humidity. And all of a sudden, you can just sit there and watch it that way. And really, what James is saying is oftentimes we size people up on the outside. We size people up and we show favor again because what might that person benefit me someday? And this person doesn't seem to have very much. 
so we can just push them to the side. Again, this just goes against the heart of God. This plays into the way of folly, which leads to pain, not just for you, but also for people who need to experience what God's grace and peace and truth is all about. Look what it says, verse five. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? I mean, it's just like a picture of Jesus. This is a picture of the disciples. And look what it says. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? So James is saying, hey, seriously, just think about this for a moment. Has it really worked for you? Because it really feels like the people who are kind of rich and who are playing by the folly and the ways of of foolishness, how has it benefited you? They're taking you to court. They're blaspheming your name. They're using you. Don't play by those rules. And then he says this, if you really love the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. See, what's James reminding them? Hey, you remember the glorious, greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you actually show favorites, you're not loving your neighbor. You're actually elevating one neighbor. And truth be told, Jesus said, hey, we're to love everyone always. Now, I think James, half-brother Jesus, he saw this. He saw people who found themselves really choosing to show favorites rather than to see what God was up to through his brother. And and what I come to realize is in John chapter 11, there's this amazing story because Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, can you just imagine that? I mean, a guy who is dead, people are weeping. Jesus shows up a couple days later and literally raises him from the dead. And people are talking about this. I mean, everyone wants to like talk about this. Did you know that rabbi, that guy from Nazareth, that dude raised someone from the dead. So much so that the religious leaders begin to get catch wind of this. And they start to hear, you're not going to believe this, but there is a guy who has literally raised that man, Lazarus, from Bethany, from the dead. And all of the religious leaders now are stuck. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? And here's what I need you to see, that there is a dark side of showing favoritism. Because what happens is when you start to build your life's identity on the economy of favoritism, it has become so easy, easy for us to feel threatened. To feel threatened when other people are doing things that quite honestly, we just can't do. We just can't do. And so in John chapter 11, I want you to see this because I think this is a side of favoritism that we don't often talk about. But he says this, verse 45, chapter 11, therefore many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did. Remember, resurrecting, raising Lazarus from the dead. And they believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. So this is like the biggest religious leaders. It'd be like all the Houston pastors gathering together and trying to decide what are we going to do with this man, this rabbi. 
And then it says this, what are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So the religious leaders are sitting here, they're like, guys, 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 seriously. If we keep letting this rabbi raise people from the dead, we keep letting him do miracles and teaching, we're going to lose our temple and we're going to lose our nation. And then, look what it says. Verse 49, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up and says, you know nothing at all. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. So here's the deal. Caiaphas goes, no, 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 you guys are, not, you guys are missing it. We literally, we literally can actually be okay because we can actually see that this man died. And this man is going to die for the whole nation rather than because of this man, the whole nation getting into a, a season of upheaval where Rome has to step in and take back the temple and take over our nation. So let's just take out this man. Which begs us to ask a bigger question. Why? Here's why. Caiaphas was the high priest. He was the high priest for, uh, scholars say, somewhere around 18 years. His father-in-law was Annas, and Annas was the high priest at the beginning of the first century. And his five sons were all high priests. His son-in-law Caiaphas was a high priest. Scholars would say that that family held the position of high priest for most of the first century. And if you were a high priest, you weren't elected by the Hebrew nation. You were selected by Rome. And because you were selected by Rome, you were given political power. And because of your position as high priest, which was kind of like overseeing the temple, making sure that the people didn't get out of hand, you had religious power. And because you had political power connected to Rome, religious power and control over the Hebrew nation and the temple, you had profound financial power. So you have all this power. And all these religious leaders are going, guys, guys, if this guy keeps doing what he's doing, oh my goodness, you know what's going to happen? We're going to lose our nation. We're going to lose our temple. What they're saying is we're going to lose our religious power, our financial power, and our political power. So what are we going to do? The truth is they did have religious power. They did have financial power. They did have political power, but they didn't have resurrection power. And Caiaphas looks at them and goes, you know nothing. You know nothing. And then he, he prophesies, it's better that one man to die than the whole nation to die. And friends, can I tell you something? Can you tell you something? A number of years ago, I had the privilege to sit down with Carly Fiorina. And many of you know her. She actually ran for president in 2016. And she was the former CEO of HP. Incredible, incredible leader. And I asked her in this conversation, I said, hey, whenever an organization is going through disruption, whenever uh, there's just some disorientation that's happening, what, what is going through the minds uh, of the people? And she goes, that's easy. That's so easy. And I said, well, what is it? She goes, it doesn't matter how deeply uh, thoughtful or emotionally intelligent or, or spiritually intelligent or deep someone is. Whenever there's disruption, 
the primary response for every single living human being is simply this. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? And really, that's the, at the heart of showing favoritism. Because every person you see is, what does this person mean for me? And anytime there's a threat where that person might get better or bigger than you, you're like, what does this mean for me? And all of a sudden, you can feel threatened. And I, I just sometimes wonder if like Caiaphas was hearing all these religious leaders, these leaders who are supposed to be shepherding the people of Israel, but you know what? They're more concerned about their power being threatened. And I wish Caiaphas would have said, friends, you know nothing at all. And then he, I wish he would have looked at every one of the religious leaders and like called them out by name. It was like, Gamaliel, Gamaliel, have you ever seen someone rise from the dead? Gamaliel would be like, no. Hey, 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 what about you? What about you, Joseph? Have you ever seen someone rise from the dead? No. And what if he went through the entire group of the religious leaders and was like, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? And then what if he said, friends, here's the deal. We might actually lose financial power. We might lose our political power. We might lose our financial and religious power. We might lose this building. We might even lose this nation. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We don't have resurrection power. I mean, that, that, that is, that's something you can't just manufacture. That, that's, that's of God. And they just saw Jesus as this poor rabbi who is a threat to their power. See, sometimes when we show favoritism, you know, it's, it's, we're trying to curry Rome instead of curry heaven. We're trying, to, we're trying to, like, actually win the hearts of other people because deep down our ache is, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? And I wish, I wish, I wish that Caiaphas would have asked a bigger question. Anytime I feel this, what does this mean for, for me? when I feel threatened? What does this mean for me when I feel fear? What does this mean for me when I feel scared? What does this mean for me when I wanna show favoritism? I have to almost stop myself, call a time out and literally reframe it to say, maybe there's a better question. Not what does this mean for me, but rather what might God be up to? What might God be up to? What might God be up to? And this is how Jesus lived his life. You read through the Gospels and he's walking and all of a sudden a kid walks up to him and he stops what he's doing. He gets down on his knee. This kid has nothing to offer him. There's no money. There's no power. Except that this kid mattered to his father. This kid mattered to Jesus' father. And because that kid mattered to Jesus' father, that kid mattered to Jesus. And Jesus would be walking and he'd see a father who was, who was just weeping because his, his child was sick. Jesus would stop. He'd see a woman who was hurting and he would stop. Why? Because each of those people represented someone who deeply, deeply mattered to his father. My friends, if someone walks in wearing an Oklahoma Sooners shirt, they matter to God. If someone comes in dressed to the nines, 
They matter to God. And what we've got to do better at is to live with wisdom. And wisdom is to align our life with God's heartbeat for all of humanity. But the temptation is, especially in the world that we're living, is to show favorites. To show favorites to people who are going to benefit us financially, benefit our power, benefit our way of thinking. And truth be told, in doing that, sometimes we could miss Jesus right in our very midst. Something I wrote down recently in my journal was, if I find myself showing favor to a person, to a party, to a policy, to a political party, to a coworker, to someone of influence over the man who is my Lord and Savior, I'm missing it. I'm missing it. And I think it's so easy for us to show favor to people who are going to benefit us or to show bitterness towards people who are going to threaten us. And truth be told, we've just got to be people who are fixated and focused on the things of Jesus. So as we kind of turn this corner in this teach, I end with this. Is there someone in your life that you're showing favoritism to? Is there someone in your life that you're literally trying to curry their favor? Because deep within it, you're trying to get something from that person that truly only God can give you. And what if we could actually name that? I want my boss to see me because I actually think that my boss can provide me something. It's not bad, but truth be told, if we actually are trying to put all of our energy in that basket, what ends up happening though, what ends up happening is what we're really saying is, I don't trust you, God. I don't trust you. And you know the passage from the scriptures, Hebrew scriptures said, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we're gonna trust in the Lord. But sometimes we just trust that this person who's dressed to the nines it's got us more than God. And so friends, you got to ask yourself, is there people in your life that you're showing favoritism to? Are there people in your life that you feel threatened by? Are there people in your life right now that are taking up too much real estate in your head and your heart over the person of Jesus and faith bridge? We got to be people who live like James taught us, people of wisdom, people who want to flourish because you know what? Nobody is more important to us than Jesus. Let's chase after Jesus. And whether someone walks in with wearing a boomer sooner shirt or someone walks in dressed in the nines, whether someone comes in in our workplace and threatens us in any way, shape, or form, our power, our finances, may we just step back and say, you know what? I trust you. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. And I'm not going to play the way of folly. I'm not going to try and curry anybody's favor but yours. But yours. And I'm just going to live with my hands open 
listening and trusting you because I don't want to live like everyone else who asks the question, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? I want to ask the bigger question, God, what might you be up to? And when we live like that, we live a life of dependency. And when you are dependent on the way of Jesus, you open yourself up to more wisdom and to a life that truly is a life that heaven delights and a life of flourishing. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you. I think for some of us in this <laughs> watching right now, I can imagine we, we've spent so much of our lives trying to gain other people's favor. And the crazy thing about grace is, is, is you've just poured out that unmerited favor upon us that we didn't deserve. I mean, we chose folly after folly after folly, and you kept choosing us again and again and again. And I think for some of us, maybe today, we just have to say yes to that. Maybe for some of us, our heart has to be reawakened to the reality that you chose us. And if, if that's you, God, I, I, just, I, just, I just pray that maybe you would just move the hearts of some young people who are watching this, and some business leaders who are watching this, some parents who are watching this, to say that their life be defined by the grace and the gift of the cross, not by what they have accomplished, not by the favoritism that they're showing, but by the unmerited favor you showed them. God, it's your goodness. It's your love. I'm praying right now, just boldly, that, that people who would make this kind of decision would, would be even courageous enough to type in the word victory and text it in and just allow this decision of saying yes to unmerited favor, yes to grace, to transform them. And just by simply even just texting victory in, it, it allows us as the church to come alongside them, God, and, and I hope they would feel that and know that. And so God, I, I just pray, I pray, I pray that for any of us who are trying to show favor to anyone but you, break us from those cycles. Break us from those cycles. Let us not be people who only ask, what does this mean for me? But let us be people who have kingdom eyes to see, God, what might you be up to? Let us walk in wisdom. Lead us into the flourishing life, a life that is grounded in you. May we celebrate your goodness now, God. It's your name we pray. Everyone say, amen.